Hello everyone, I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined by Jonathan Fadugba. This is the Nordic Football Podcast and uh, been a little bit of time since me and you have been uh, together on an episode with Jonathan. Uh, it's good to be uh, to have us back here. How are you doing? Hi Steve, hi everybody. Yes, um, good to be back with you. We've had Ben Wells on the show making his debut and we've had Sean Constable as well. So uh, it's been an eventful few sort of weeks we've been apart but uh, where we are friends reunited as they say <laughs> yeah indeed and uh, well we've got to talk about uh champions that's the theme for this uh, episode really uh we've got malmo and buddha glimpse have secured their respective gold medals and uh we're going to start in the swedish section because the, the last episode was all on norway so it's time that we give uh, sweden a bit more love and uh yeah malmo champions um excellent side they've had a great campaign you've actually done a recent article about them on uh, y scout a y scout blog there which was a very good article uh, i'd encourage anyone to have a read of that um but yeah the two games together on 57 points they only lost three games uh congratulations to them from uh, us here at nordic football podcast uh briefly before we go into detail i mean how can you sum them up for this season the bayern munich of sweden that is mm. the tagline that was given to Malmo by uh, Henrik Riedström, the uh, manager of EK Sirius. Don't forget we had a, also a player from Sirius on the podcast not too long ago. So, um, yeah, it was after they battered uh, Sirius to, to seal the title uh, just over a week ago. Um, and indeed, as you said, Malmo are the king kings of Sweden again. Uh, and, yes, it's, um, you know, 12 points clear now with two games to go. Their title is in the bag. It's been sealed. They beat Sirius 4-0 blew them away really it was a game to win the league they knew that if they won that game they'd be champions uh with many games to spare three games to spare and they blew them away uh, isak is telling in the third minute and and christensen in the eighth minute or the in the 15th minute uh 15 minute triple salvo and then eric larson in the 76th minute four nil win uh, and that's sealed their tied so obviously this past week just after the international break they've drawn with hammerby away but uh, as you know, Steve, once you've won the league, really that motivation maybe dips slightly and, you know, they've done their job now and job's done. So they are champions again. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? It's been three years now we've been waiting for Malmo to, to win the league. I think some uh, listeners of Mal you know, listeners to this show who support Malmo might be thinking we're a bit of a jinx to them because uh, ever since we started this podcast, they've, they've not really had not too much of it, too much success compared to the previous uh, time. Mm. Um, but yeah, they are champions again. Their three-year wait is over. Congratulations to MFF. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, briefly, it looks to me like it's been a year where the rest of the competition hasn't been as good. Uh, that's just on the face of things. I don't want to take anything away from them at all. They might be an absolutely brilliant team. I've, I've not seen much of them myself. But um, I mean, in terms of the keys to their success uh, in this particular campaign, I mean, what would you say stand out there? Yeah, well, I think if we're going to go into it, and I think on this show, as you said, this is the Champions show, isn't it? The Champions edition, um, and we'll come to Norway later, but uh, Champions of Sweden is is Malmo. And, um, really, the bottom line is, and, and I, I gave that tagline for a reason, the Bayern Munich of Sweden, because I, I think this season has really been um, a kind of reawakening of, of, of Malmo and a realisation that they are the big boys and, and uh, you know, Maybe in this era of COVID and, and all the challenges of the pandemic, it's kind of the, the, the cream has right risen to the top slightly, you could say. And Malmo have been able to ride off all the challenges that come with that and, and kind of show that they are the dominant force 
you know, they're the team in Sweden with the, the best budget, the team with the best, you know, highest revenue figures. And maybe this season it's been a bit of a reset in that point, from that point of view. You know, we had um, Jurgarden last season were the best coach team and they had, the, you know, the, the best tactical setup in terms of their game style. The season before that, it was AIK in Stockholm and they had the best defence. It was a defensive title. It was a team who gave nothing away and had an incredible defensive record. I think it was 16 goals conceded in an entire season. Um, this year really is, like I say, the re-establishment of Malmo as, as that dominant force, uh, that Bayern Munich, that Juventus that they like to think that they are. Um, you've got to bear in mind, Steve, that they'd won the league five times in the eight years before that. So, you know, between 2010 and 2017, they they, they were winning it pretty much all the time. Um, then 2017 came along and ever since then, they've struggled a little bit, obviously, in you know, 2018, 2019, didn't win anything. But uh, this year they've done it. And I think, you know what, where we'll probably start when we analyse them is their um, their game model and, and their style of play and, and the calibre of players that they have. Yeah, I mean, I know in, in previous years, um, they, they kind of sometimes came under criticism for not maybe scoring enough goals. This, it seems, I mean, they're head and shoulders above most sides in terms of goals scored this particular campaign. Um, is, is that an area where the manager, Jörn, Dahl Thomason has, has, has improved things, or or is it? I mean, they've also got the best defensive record. Is that has that been the key, or just a combination? It's, it's a combination, to be honest. I think I think the key is. I mean, if you look at the league table, they they're a lot more prolific uh, this season. Fifty eight goals now with 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 two games left to spare uh, in the campaign. You know, last season they scored fifty six in in thirty games. So they've obviously improved that massively. Um, they could actually conceded fewer goals. You know, they can only concede 16 uh, last season. And this season they've conceded more, um, 27. So they've had a bit of a leeway in that, in that sense, you know. And uh, I do think you're, you're onto something when you say about the comp- level of the competition. I think there's been a bit of a dip in, in terms of the, the top teams. Um, you know, Eurogard and AIK had really terrible starts to the season. Um other teams as well that we would have maybe considered challengers just just haven't been up to it. Hammerby really had a terrible start, to be honest. Got better as, as the season has gone on um, and have, have done okay in the end. You know, they've got themselves back up to sixth position. Um, but really, I think a lot of the big boys have struggled. With AIK are currently ninth. You know, Jurgarden um, a third now. But, you know, as I say, they struggled. And the main challenger really has become Els- was became Elsborg. It was, you know, nobody would have thought that in pre-season. Um, but the problem with Elfsborg was as soon as the summer came along, they were stripped of some of their best players. Um, Jesper Carlsen went to AZ Alkmaar and really he was their figurehead. And I think that that's what I often say about Malmo. If, if they get to the summer and they have that chance to sort of um, re- rejuvenate their squad, they're usually the team that's prone to keeping their players. Whereas sometimes other smaller clubs, maybe they, 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 they're prone to losing some players when that window comes. It's always a hindrance to them. I sometimes think in Sweden, if you had a season with just no transfer window completely, it might be a benefit to to some of the smaller teams because their teams, they, you know, their players get plucked away like like sort of hens at a hens at a you know chicken farm. So um, yeah, really, Malmo Malmo's success has come down to just the fact they've got the best. I think this season they've got the best players. Um, one of the areas that was we'll, you know to start with is to look at their game style as well. They changed their, they've changed their tactics this season. Um, Uwe Rosler, of course, was more of a sort of a three five two man. Um, Yondal Thomason's come in and, and, and changed that game model and changed their style of play to, to more of a 4-4-1-1 setup. Um, 
I can't, I think I, I really like their style of play. I think they they've they've got a mature setup. It's mature in possession and out of possession. Um, but really, the key is to this team that they, they've just got top players. Really. Yeah. Isak Kisatelin was a massive signing up front. Really, that was what they were missing um, in terms of strike a really clinical striker um, who can get the job done. And I think Oyla Toivonen as well has to go down as a really, really good signing. Um, and they've been well managed. You know, there were question marks about Yonda Thomason in, in the early part of the season. I, I questioned him as well. But um, to be fair to him, he's done incredibly well and, and moulded that side together, put his own stamp on it. And um, their tactical style of play and their game model has, has, has led to the, this title. Yeah, if for anyone uh, who's, say, listening to one of our podcasts here for the first ever time um, and don't know anything about Malmo, the style, I mean, how would you describe it? What sort of style do they play? What sort of tactics? You mentioned 4 4 one, one there. Are they sort of defensive, attacking, counter-press? You know, what sort of uh, side uh, are they? Well, Malmo, it's a 4-4-1-1, really, and that can change to 4-4-2 if needed. Ola Toivonen is the attacking midfielder, and he really is the central part of this team. He is the sort of focal point around which the, the, the shape of the team is based. Um, and as you know, Steve, obviously, we, we, you know, myself and yourself have covered French football in the past, and Toivonen has been at, in League One. He's been around the block. He's been at many, many, many clubs. I think he's played in the Netherlands as well, played, played in Australia. Um, and has over 60 caps for for the Swedish national team, so he's he's a big big player. Um, and his return to Sweden this season for Malmo has been a key key element. We'll talk about him maybe slightly in more detail a little bit in a minute. But um, yeah, it's a four four one one setup. They're, they're not really the most sort of aggressive team. They're not really playing a revolutionary model. You know, I wouldn't say they're kind of like a Buda Glimp type team where with a high press and an incredible intensity about their game. But they do have that 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 ability to be intense. Um, they've got the most. They've scored the most goals this season, as, as I've said. They've got the highest expected goals in the league. You know, fifty-two point three five um, before last week's game. Um, they've got the best defensive record, the lowest xG against. They've registered the most shots. You know, they've had the most touches in the penalty area, and obviously the most points. And I think where they, in previous seasons, maybe didn't really have the best of squads, uh, and were lacking in some key areas. This this season really. They've made sure that the spine of their team is 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 top for Alsvenskan level. You know, you go through the, the, the goalkeeper, you go to the centre backs, Arnel Amahudsic, who we can maybe discuss in a minute. He he's um, been linked with Chelsea and others. He's had a really really good season. The young centre back. Um, you look at Anders Christiansen. For me, he's been a top level player in Alsvenskan for many years now. For me, he's probably too good for Alsvenskan, but he's been here year in year out. And over the past three years, I'd say he's been the most consistent player in the league, definitely. Um, he's still there, linking up in that midfield with Toivonen, linking up in that midfield with the likes of Erdil Rakip um, for a battery before he left. Um, and then you've got Toivonen in that A mid position. He links the play. And then you've got Isak Kisatelin up front, who just, he gets the goals. He, he, he's the one who, who scores the, the goals. And, um, you know, before last week, he had 12 goals, XG 12.82. Um, you know, highest XG in offense scan, 0.6, you know, uh, goals per 90 minutes. And he really is a top striker at this level. He was obviously and he's on loan from Anderlecht, um, has has played for Malmo in the past, and um, he he's really that clinical finishing has, has been massive uh, as part of this team. Um, yeah, in terms of their style of play, that you know when they're defensive, they can play in a sort of four four two block. Toivonen can can press and, and win the ball back and recover it in field. Um, one thing I really like about their, their their tactical style of play is, you know, they tend to. Uh, have a pattern of play where they go wide to Joringa Burgett, um, 
he's really good in the air, so they'll punt sort of long balls out to him on the right-hand channel. He'll flick them inside to Ola Toivonen, um, who then gets in those pockets of space in between the defence and the midfield. And he, he's really intuitive and good at getting him in those little pockets of space. And then obviously he's got Anders Christensen behind him who, who can pick out a pass, who can also unbalance defences with his, his general creativity, progressive passing. And then what they do is those two combine together. Erdil Rakip as well is a really good passer. And they play balls in behind for Kisa Tellin. Um, and Kisa Tellin has that pace. And he also has the finishing ability to, to get the job done. And, and it's, been, it's been vital to them in, in key matches for them this season. Kisa Tellin's popped up so many times um, this season with, with goals in, in key, key games and at key moments. And, um, you know, a lot of the games, to be fair, Malmo have won fairly easily. But I, I look at, for example, the 2-1 win against Kalmar, where he scored two. He scored a last-minute winner. Um, I look at the game against Ostersunds, where they won 2-1. Um, you know, I look at the game against Jurgard and they won one nil. Obviously, Christensen got the goal there. But th- there's so many games where where Kisa Tellin has come up with with the goods. Um, and so, yeah, when you combine it, another thing that Yonda Thomason has done really well is also bringing through younger players. So you've got the likes of, like I say, Armin Hodzic, the centre back. They've got Adi Nalic. He can do a job. Scored the winner against Orebro. So they're just the whole package, really. Steve is. Is, is in really good shape and, and it's led to this sort of fairly comfortable title win. It's interesting you mentioned there that they, that they sort of added a couple of pieces and more of the finished article this season. But the interesting thing is, uh, whatever happens here, they can't uh, even reach their points tally from last season and they might not even reach their points tally from two seasons ago. So, yeah, we, we, you know, I talked about the lack of competition and that and, of course, you can only beat what's in front of you. But is this team actually better than the one of the last two seasons or have they just kind of looked into winning the title because of no one else really around them challenging yeah and i think if if you were a mount if you were a uh, uve rosler you know if you were going to defend uve rosler then that's the point you probably make and i think that's that's a fair point and a fair question the, the quality isn't as high this season you know and it's it's shown by uh, what's happened and don't forget malmo were one penalty away from winning the title last season you know, they missed at least three or four penalties last year where if they'd have got those points on the board, uh, they'd have been champions. You know, it was a really close title race last season, if you remember rightly. It went all the way to the wire. It was a really brilliant <laughs> season to watch as a, as a spectator. Um, remember, there was only one point between first and third so and only four points between the top four. So that just tells you, you know, if you look at the table this season, Malmo are 12 points clear. So it, it's a completely different ball game. Um, but yeah, it, it really was fine margins last season for Jurgarden winning it. And in my opinion, it came down to just some penalties that they missed. And, and that's why I, I point to Kisa Tellin, because there were certain games where Guillermo Molines, uh, he missed penalties. I think there was one away against, um, there was one where Malmo lost at home to Jurgarden, uh, 1-0. And they had a penalty to go 1-0 up in that game uh, and missed it. And there were other games as well, key games where they, they missed penalties and, and, and didn't get the job done. So it, it is a lower field of quality this season, that, that's, def- that's for sure. COVID has obviously affected a lot of the bigger Stockholm teams, you might say. Um, you know, you look at their, I don't know whether it's because there's no fans or just they just really were slow out of the blocks. But whichever way you look at it, you know, they um, they, they, they just were, they were just too far away in the race and they've had poor seasons of their own. We've talked about ARK in the past um, and I've written about ARK on Wisecout, you know, their bad season. North Shopping looked like they may be contenders, but then they fell away as well and they sold some players. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Steve, that, um, you know, the, the, the field of quality uh, yeah. dips slightly this season. 
There's a, an interesting little quirk, statistical quirk here. You may not even be able to answer this question, actually. But um, I mean, I've been looking at the percentage of home wins in the Arsvenskin this season. It's at thirty-six point six one, the lowest that I can see this century, to be honest. Um, home wins have not been very high in this league. Um, yet Malmo have clearly the best home record out of anyone. They've won ten, they've drawn four, lost none. Now, what have they managed to do? How have they managed to be so strong at home when other sides have just not been strong at home? Um, it's a bit of an interesting question. A difficult one, really, isn't it? But uh, it seems the lack of fans have made no difference to them at all. Yeah, and that's because they have the best players, uh, you know, bottom line. Mm. And I think part of that answer is in the fact that, um, you know, we had uh, we had Mohamed Saeed from AK Sirius on the podcast, and he said that, you know, players don't really the good players don't really aren't affected by fans you know and they shouldn't be affected by fans and, and i thought it was quite an interesting point and a good point um you know the top players aren't affected whether they're playing with fans or no fans and, and malmo have the best players i think again as i said if if you if, if you if you had the likes of toivinen and, and kisa telling in the team last season they, they probably would have won the title so there's certainly an argument you know like i say uve rosa might be a little bit sad because he you know he left the club um, and was criticised heavily for not winning the league, but he wasn't that, he wasn't that far away, really. Um, it's just that there was better competition. This year, the levels dipped a bit. If he'd, if he'd stuck around, he, maybe he would have won the league himself. Um, but unfortunately for him, he'll go down as a manager who, who, who failed to win the league. And yeah. you know, um, Thomason has come in and he's become the league's 13th um, title-winning manager. So, you know, it, it's fine margins, Steve. And I don't think you can really point to COVID as a, as a defining factor in, in terms of the outcome of the title race because it's been the same for everybody. But 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 certainly the top players maybe aren't as, a, as badly affected and m maybe there's a, a, an element to that. But I also think that, I think also COVID, don't forget in Osvenskan, in we had a six-month wait for the season to even start, uh, seven months or you know, nearly eight months from the end of last season to the beginning of this season. It was a really long delay. Um, and I think because of the financial situation as well, clubs lost players certain teams weren't able to strengthen. I definitely think AIK were affected, for example, in their recruitment. I don't think they were maybe able to recruit as much as they would have liked. So these little margins like that have affected certain teams. I think whereas Malmo, have, you know, they were able to get their business done, bring in the likes of Toivon and Kisa Tellin and, um, and then also integrate their young talents. And, you know, Malmo also don't forget they, they were named um, the best team in, in, in Sweden for producing talent recently in a, in a recent uh, survey. Um, the amount of players that they produce from their academy that go through and go on to to um, bigger things and you know play professional football. And one thing I'd say about Malmo is, by the way, they were the first team in in Sweden to actually bring the academy system in when you know many many years decades ago now. But um, you know they've always been forward thinking on the academy side of things and, and they produce a lot of talent. And they've been able to supplement those signing. You know maybe the lack of finances they've been able to sort of supplement their squad with players like Arnil Armahodzic, who's been brilliant. Players like Adi Nanich, who's come in and done a job where where necessary. Players like I mean Saar, who was a talent focus that we we had, um, you know, about four or five episodes ago. So all that, you know, you meld that all together, and um, I think that's maybe had that impact and not affected the, their their form, whether it's home or away. Yeah, let's just talk about the manager now, Jan uh, Dahl Thomason. Uh, I mean, what have you made of him? What are his biggest strengths and what things is he's got perhaps got to work on um, heading into next season where you have to presume that the challenge will be a lot greater from some of the other clubs? Yeah, well, it's funny because 
one of the things that will define this season is obviously, you know, as we've said, the pandemic and, and COVID-19 in general. And it couldn't have been more sort of um, closely brought into focus than the the, uh, the game in which they won the league. Because when Manuel were there busy beating uh, IK Sirius 4-0 and, you know, destroying them, as I, as I mentioned at the top of this show, Yondal Thomason was nowhere to be seen. Uh, do you know where he was, Steve? I don't, I don't know. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was in his hospital bed because he actually had COVID-19 himself. Um, he was diagnosed with it in the days before the game. Um, and he said, I lacked energy. I was laying in bed all day. I had a lot of headaches and in, eventually had to um, go to hospital. And so he was said he was recovering in his hospital bed and he, he watched the game from, from his bed, but uh, his sick bed. And he said, the, we were so good against Sirius that I got my energy back and, and now I can hopefully put it behind me. So, you know, uh, maybe that's some advice for anyone who ends up in hospital with COVID, you know, win the title with a, a football team and you'll, uh, you'll have an instant recovery, but um, maybe that's the vaccine we all need. But yeah, he, um, I have to give him real credit because uh, I was a little bit, I wasn't critical, but I did ask questions in, in the preseason podcast about his ability to maybe manage because he, his track record isn't isn't really amazing, is it? He, he's been assistant manager in Denmark uh, for the national team. He's, he's been assistant manager uh, in the uh, Eredivisie and he had a couple of brief stints in, in the Eredivisie with, you know, I think Rhoda JC and Excelsior. Doesn't really have a huge managerial track record, but he's come in and uh, and one of the things as well, in, in pre-season, he fell out with quite a few players and there was sort of, there was a few comments that came out from players that, that just were a bit concerning. But actually, maybe if we look at it in hindsight and you turn it around, he, he was maybe stamping his authority on this squad and he was probably setting the, the, the groundwork for this title when he was essentially saying, listen, I, I've got my way of doing things and if, if you're not going to abide by it, then there's no place for you here. And um, you can turn that around, isn't it, and say if some of the players weren't happy, but ultimately he was able to mould the squad together and bring, bring together the majority of the players uh, and get the job done. He's got the benefit of having a top, top squad for this level. Uh, as I've said, but uh, I think the praise he needs is he's, he's brought in a good game style. I think um, he's, he's brought a sort of forward-thinking way of playing. Uh, I think he's done really intelligently the way he's got Ola Toivonen, and you know, like I said, we'll talk about Toivonen in a second maybe, but I think he's done really well in the, the way he's used Ola Toivonen this season, the way he's used that sort of 4-4-1-1, um, and also just generally, and also he's, he's been quite tactically innovative in some ways. That they, They've... Um, one of their tactics, Steve, is, you know, I did say that they're Bayern Munich of Sweden, but you could also say that the Stoke City of Sweden, because um, the long throwing has become he's brought it back. It's like throwback, you know. It's like um, it's like Afro haircuts and and uh, you know skinny jeans. He's brought he's brought back the old 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 school, um, because long throw-ins has been a real danger for Malmo. Um, they've got Jonas Knudsen who used to play for Switch Town, and he he can whip in a throw-in, and um, teams can't handle it. A lot of teams have not handled it. And it's essentially become like a, an extra set piece for them. Um, and they've scored a lot of goals from whipped in, you know, long, it's almost like having a corner now that they're whipped long throwing. So just these little marginal gains like that, you know, being tactically innovative, using different methods to, to get the, the best out of his players. Um, and his style of play is quite good. So yeah, he's not a revolutionary coach in what he's done, but he's definitely got different ideas and, and has managed to get the best out of this, this squad. Is the Swedish cup final, a sort of blot. On, on, on things for this year, losing that big game there. I mean, I guess going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how he is if, if, if his challenge is up there and, and they're put under pressure and how he manages in the really big games. Um, you know, but I mean, so far, so good for him, obviously. A nice little 
it feels like a really nice sort of a way to ease into the Malmo job, isn't it? Really get that first title in the bag and they can build on it. Yeah, well, I thought that, um, you know, obviously, obviously losing the cup finals, of course, was a, was a bad moment for them. But uh, I, I thought that, and as Christensen's comments were were really interesting after after the title win. Now he he's been there for many years now, and he was made captain by by Yonder Thomas. And don't forget, obviously, they're they're both uh, both Danes. And um, Thomason, you know, obviously his playing track record was incredible, wasn't it? He's played for AC Milan. He's won a Champions League. He, he, he's, he's been around the block. He's, he's definitely was a top player as a striker back in his day, if anyone remembers him. Yondal Thomason um, played for Newcastle United as well. Uh, and Chris Jusson had a few interesting things to say comparing Uwe Rosler and, uh, and, and Thomason. And he said, I've had four coaches in four seasons, more or less. There have been four different coaches. Uh, but there's a big difference between Uwe Rosler and and Yondar Thomason. He says when Uwe Rosler came in, uh, it was a situation where we needed discipline and we needed structure after a really start, poor start in 2018. He came in and he immediately added extraordinarily tough discipline and structure on and off the pitch. He made extremely high demands on us as players and, and the whole club. So we moved in a positive direction. Um, but then he compared the sort of differences between Rosler's 3-5-2 and and Thomason's 4-3-3 or 4-4-1-1, depending on how you want to look at it. He says, so we got a Danish coach. Uh, he took over the sort of um, the groundwork that was laid by Rosler. He's added a more Danish style of football, if we can say that, inspired by the Dutch as well. And we, we now have an incredible amount of creative freedom on the pitch. Um, we can read the game ourselves. We have basic principles of our game that we can then use and model. And the way about the way in which we think about football has really, really suited us. Um, both in the fact that we've conceded less, the least goals and we've also scored the most. Um, so he says that, and this is an interesting quote, he says, I would consider him a little bit more what the media would call a modern day coach, uh, where you have a lot of freedom, but you have also great responsibility. Now, you can take that as a bit of a dig at Uwe Rosler if you like, maybe, but, but I think also that also um, is a bit of praise for Rosler because he's clearly laid the groundwork in terms of his, his high demands and, and that discipline and that structure. Um, which Thomason has then come in and tweaked. And, and, and as you say, he's got that maybe Eredivisie grounding, you know, maybe that more sort of fluid style. And he's definitely implemented that into into um, into Malmo's game. Yeah, it just kind of feels that Th- Thomason's maybe a bit more dynamic um, with, with things overall. And, and I do agree with you there. I think Ove Rossler deserves some of the credit towards this title because he certainly laid the groundwork. He picked them up. They're in a bad state. And that's what they needed at. I still think last season they were the best team. I said that in the last season's podcast. They were the best team and they should have won the league, really. It was just them moments. And they were unlucky to run into a, a Jorgarten machine as well. Um, so I think, yeah, he's a bit unlucky, Rosler, to uh, to have not uh, won the title. But he deserves a lot of credit. And it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the sort of end of season podcast and that. But, I mean, progressing going forward, Malmo, um, is this the sort of team that's going to get ripped apart or is they going to generally keep the same sort of squad you think heading into the next season um it will remain to be seen uh obviously the the financial realities of the, of the game that we're in at the moment in football dictate that you know players are on the market really i think in any part of the world um even the top clubs i think you know they're the, the bigger question now is that they're going to be buyers because obviously there's less money floating around in the game at, at this present moment in time, I was looking at Barcelona the other day, having to sort of try and ask their players to take wage cuts because they they they're in massive financial trouble. So you are in a situation where, you know, there's probably less money washing around. 
I think that some players maybe may may leave and, and there'll be a slight slight tweaking of, of, of their level. But um, one of the comments from their, their, you know, one of their directors was that this club needs to be in the Champions League and this club deserves to be in the Champions League. And I think that'll be a massive focus now for Momo, establishing themselves in the Champions League and trying to get into that group stage and actually, you know, make some more revenue because I think they were hit as well. Maybe less than others, but they, they definitely have taken a hit. And I think winning this league now gives them that opportunity. They're in the qualifiers. They can they can go into the Champions League now and have some optimism. Um, Keith Tellin's only on loan, don't forget, so that they'll probably maybe try and wrap him up as a signing. He's he's 28. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the outlook for them now is, is going to be to continue this development and, and, and take it on from here. Yeah, and just before we finish the Malmö section, um, we talked about Ola Toivonen being a key man this year for them. Um, and, you know, he's an old dog now, isn't he? He's 34 and he's been around the block a bit. Had a couple of stints in French football, like you aforementioned there. And, um, you know, it's unlike you to have sort of a, a focus uh, on, a, on an older player, but uh, you're going to give him a bit of uh, a lowdown on Ola Toivonen now. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call this maybe a player. We could call this a player in focus in a way, but, uh, you know, you know what I'm like, Steve. I tend to sort of look at the younger players in that sense. But I, I want to focus on Toivonen because um, it's actually his first title in Sweden, I believe. So for someone who's won over 60 caps, that, that's that's a pretty big achievement. Um, and I really think he's been a central point in this team. And I think, I'll be honest, you know, sometimes I look at older players when they when they return to Sweden and I kind of it doesn't really get my juices going you know I'm, I'll be honest you know I, anyone who listens to this podcast really regularly probably you know there'll be a running theme about the amount of youth talent that I like to, to focus on and sometimes you can overlook just established good solid you know older heads and um, I've been guilty of that for sure at times and I think that I just want to focus on Toivon because I it went he went a bit under the radar for me I was like yeah he's 34 been in Australia, what's he really going to do? I didn't really factor in um, his importance and, and just the career he's had, to be honest. You know, this is a player who, obviously, he started his career with, with Malmo um, and Degafor, sorry, and, and, and he was at Orgrita, then he went to PSV, scored 60-plus goals for PSV um, 20, between 2009 2014. Um, did okay at Rennes and Toulouse, but I remember when I watched him in French football, wasn't, wasn't really, didn't, wasn't incredible, was okay. Um, then went to Melbourne victory and, and even had a stint at Sunderland on loan. But yeah, what, what he's offered this season, Steve, I think I think bears bears mentioning. Um, you know, as I've said, it, it's his first title in Sweden, um, and you know this is a player who in 2006 won the Swedish Newcomer of the Year. So he's he's had a track record in Swedish football. But you know, this is kind of almost his coming home, and this is his moment. What I've really liked about him, Steve, is not only his ability between the lines and his intelligence, just threading passes and, and through balls, but I've really liked the way he helps the defensive shape of the side. You know, he's weighed in with, um, if we look at just before um, this last game gone, he, he'd had six assists um, and he was also averaging, you know, a really good number of um, key passes per game. He was having, he's having 3.54 shots per 90, which is fourth in the league in terms of the number of shots he's taken but also creating a lot, 0.76 key passes per 90, which was eighth best in, in Osvenskan, and also second for deep completions per 90 minutes. So that's passes, you know, into the 20-metre radius of the goal line, 2.59 per 90. He's good in the air, you know, he links the play really well. He progresses the ball from midfield into, 
into attacking situations. He shoots a lot. So he's a real all-round threat. But one of the things that also I really liked about him, Steve, is his defensive ability. And I think Malmo really based a lot of their game on, on his ability to drop deeper uh, when other teams have possession. And if you watch a lot of the, the Malmo games, what, what you'll see is um, Toivonen, obviously I've said he does, he does the attacking work. But what he also does, uh, Steve, is he, he helps um, create overloads in defensive situations. Often you get maybe teams who have good attacking players in, in Sweden um, mm -hmm. getting in between the lines or finding themselves in good, good situations. But what Toivonen did is he often dropped deeper and helped Malmo form a more compact sort of block. They have got their four-man midfield. You know, and, and obviously a defender might come out of that. But with Toivonen being able to drop into the, you know, into that midfield and create a five, he would often create the overload around a defender, def uh, you know, a midfielder, and often that pressure led to them turning over possession, and that led to the break and the counter attack and and Malmo's ability to counter attack on teams. And this is something that you know the club has even been praised for. Um, even the sporting director Daniel Anderson came out and said, this season the way that we've regained pressure, uh, regained possession. And the way that we pressure teams has been incredibly good. And, you know, that's high praise from, from Daniel Anderson, who's been around the block and, you know, is a bit of a Malmo legend. Um, he, he took his point to, you know, he took time to comment on that and the ability to regain position. And, and Toivon has been a big part of that, in my opinion, especially with Fuad Battery leaving um, in the summer. You know, were they going to lose that midfield sort of solidity? Toivon has just had that responsibility and come back and dropped in. And I think sometimes, Steve, you know, you don't often get that, do you? Sometimes maybe with veteran players who are maybe coming to the end of their career maybe they come for a bit of a, a payday and and don't become the focal point of the side as you might expect he's really been a key man this season and i think he deserves a lot a lot of praise for his his role in, the, in this title win yeah i mean just looking back actually um you say that's his first uh, domestic title one it's actually the first title he's won anywhere in his career and uh i mean that's somewhat surprising i mean he was at psv for five and a half years for example um, it just happened to be he was there when they weren't winning titles. I mean, even Steve McLaren's FSA 20 beat them um, one of the years uh, doing that. So it's not like he's a serial winner of things. Um, but I think what he is, it, sometimes you can uh, overlook, and I'm guilty of this myself in football a bit, actually, of underestimating some of these old dogs and the experience that they bring both on the field and off the field. And it sounds like, let's say, a very wise sort of addition. He had been helping himself to goals in the Australian A-League prior to coming to the Alsvensk. And so maybe his confidence was was boosted there and uh, Malmo made the most of it. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think you know, for that, for that he deserves praise. And uh, I just wanted to sort of, um, yeah, highlight that because, he's, 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 you know, he deserves his sort of time in the sun. I think he really deserves his title. And obviously with, with Corona, there, there haven't been huge celebrations one member of the squad said that he celebrated the league by going to Burger King and uh, getting himself a burger and then going home and having a beer. So, you know, it's, it's not exactly rock and roll season for, for, for winning the league. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think that Tovin deserves praise because he's, he's really, as you say, he's not maybe had the, the honours that his, his career has deserved. And don't forget, as I say, he's been a key part of Sweden for, for quite a long time, the national team. So, yeah, just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to Tovin there because... Um, he deserves it after such a long career. That's got to be a double whopper, right? <laughs> if he's going to Burger King, that's about all they're good for, really. Um, <laughs> they do a vegan burger, I think, now in Burger King. But uh, that mm. wouldn't really interest me, I don't think. Um, double whopper all the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, yes, congratulations to Malmo here. They've had a great uh, season. Yeah, sorry. And just before I end, um, 
I just wanted to, yeah, obviously a quote from Toivon in there. He says, he said, it was awesome. What an amazing season for me. So much fun. Uh, my God, they, I've played for so many years and only won domestic cups. A league is always a league. It's massive, he said. Um, and he said, it's not what I expected when I came back, but that is what it is. I'm happy the guys are happy. I hope the city are happy as well. And it, it means a lot. But I'm 34 now and, you know, I'm a few a few years away from retiring. So to win a gold medal in Osvenskan is always nice. Yeah, well, very well done to Ola Tordovinen. Um, like I say, good uh, someone like him has managed to finally win a, a domestic league. And um, <clears throat> like I say, down there at the bottom now, it, it looks like it's... Well, we've got Helsingborg 22 points, Falkenberg 23, Kalmar 24, and DFK Jotterburg 28. So, uh, I mean, Jotterburg are not quite safe yet, but they look in a good spot. It looks like it's a battle two from three to finish in that playoff spot, and that's Kalmar are down here again. I mean, every year we seem to be in this conversation, Jonathan. Um, I mean, whether or not they're going to finish in that spot this time, I don't know, but I mean, it's a close battle between them three. It certainly is. And, um, you know, is it going to be another year where Falkenberg sort of sneak out of it? They've had a bit of a beating tonight. They, they've been beaten um, by North Shopping, um, probably expectedly. But, yeah, they, they took a bit of a pasting there. Um, you know, they were bottom for so long, but they've managed to climb away from it. And, and Helsingborg are now bottom of the table with, with 14 defeats. It's really been a terrible season for Helsingborg. I'm really shocked at how, how it's turned out for them. But I'll be honest, I, I didn't expect this at all. Um, but they just haven't got going all, all year. And, I, I, you know, they're running out of time, really, aren't they? It's, it's, it's basically looking yeah. like... I mean, the best they can expect now, really, realistically, is, a, is, a, is the playoff. There's a, a really massive game uh, remaining at the bottom. It comes this weekend. Helsingborg against Falkenberg. It's probably, of all them teams down there, the only realistic chance of, of points from any of them. I mean, weird stuff can happen. The last two rounds, any of course, but Helsingborg Falkenberg is literally is the definition of a six pointer. It's a twelve pointer, you know. I mean, the winner of that may well get this playoff spot. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, you, you mentioned that as well. And uh, the other thing you got to point out, Steve, is, is it's looking bleak for Kalmar. You know, they 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 mm. they often, you know, the two teams that usually have the lucky escapes is uh, Falkenberg last season, obviously. You know, staying up with the last goal, pretty much the last kick of the, of the season. Um, and Kalmar, you know, Kalmar are often in this sort of situation, but but tend to get out of it. But even they are looking, you know, bleak, maybe. Um, four points behind EF Core now, with two games remaining um, to get out of it. It looks like maybe a relegation playoff. Last season, they had a relegation playoff and they, and they, they escaped. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe that's in their mind again this, this year. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge game coming up. Um, it's really... Helsingborg's last throw of the dice, to be honest. Um, if they lose that, they're pretty much down. I mean, Kalmar, they've had one one home win all season, which is absolutely diabolical, isn't it? I think their last two games are against uh, A. Core and Hecken. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, A. Core, nothing left to play for, but Hecken are well in the in the battle for the for a medal position. I mean, it might be Kalmar. Their race is run finally, and. Um, you know, if they were to go down, would it almost be a good thing, do you think, for this club to reset? I don't think relegation can ever be looked at as a good thing. But, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you get teams that are just teetering on the brink for, for, for so long that, you know, may, maybe, it, maybe it is, like you say, for the best. Maybe you can reset and, and come back maybe stronger. But one thing I, I note in Sweden, Steve, is it's not like maybe England where 
you go down, you get parachute payments, and you, you know you rejuvenate the squad, and you're back the next year, maybe with a, a slightly trimmer, leaner, you know, refreshed team. In Sweden, it's hard to get back in. You know, you look at the you look at the Super Retin at the moment, and you look at the teams that got relegated last season. Where are they? Um, you know, you look at Bromma Poik and the back-to-back relegations. You you look at teams like Gif Sundsvall. You know, it. It's hard to get back into the league. Yeah, I've noticed this. I've noticed it's, it's completely the opposite in Norway. If you go down, you're almost guaranteed to be coming back fairly quickly. But in Sweden, it seems really hard for teams. I mean, Halmstad, they're, they're, they're up there. They've not won the league, but they're going to be one of the top two. I mean, Halmstad used to be a mainstay in the uh, Alsvenskan, certainly when I was following the league growing up. And, you know, quite a big club historically, Halmstad. And it seems that it's taken them a few years to get down there and regroup and, and come back up and it's difficult even gif i mean gif are down there in sixth i mean I, a lot of people were saying they might be a shoo-in to, to, to bounce back straight away you got dal curd who were relegated what a couple of years ago they're down there struggling afc eskels are struggling down there bromma poikin like you mentioned it, it's not maybe the greatest thing to go down um but calmar are a big club and you kind of feel like they, they should have the resources to bounce back straight away, but you never know, do you? It's going to be difficult. I mean, one of them, so we're not even, we, we're talking about that third position from bottom and, and they're going to be all right. Well, they've still got to play the playoff game against, um, looks like probably Yonchaping or, or Osters. So there's no guarantee of them uh, winning that either. So um, yeah, it's been a difficult year for, for them sides down the bottom, hasn't it? And uh, I know you've not been impressed by the standard. No, not been, not massively impressed, and you know, like you just pointed out there, all the teams, you know, you've got AS, you've got ASES, you know, in relegation playoffs at the moment to go back to back relegations again. You've got um, you've got Trelleborg, they haven't been back since they're in eleventh place. You know, you've got Yon Shopping, they were relegated to you know two three years ago, and again they've struggled, haven't been able to to get back. Um, you know, as you've said, so yeah, I think it's I can never say that it's good, and I think in in Sweden it's definitely not uh, definitely not a sort of opportunity to reset as you say the finances i think maybe dictate that to a certain extent as well uh, and just the fact that you do have some quite good teams in in the super retin you know you know you've got some forward thinking teams there and you've got you've got big clubs in super retin who aren't even doing that well themselves you've got the likes of orgolita uh, you've got guys you know orgolita are a massive mm. team in sweden you look at how many titles league titles they've won in their history orgolita are massive um haven't been able to get back into a again so it's a real real slog if you do go down and i think yeah, I mean, Helsingborg, they've already had their struggles. They went down in, in, I think it was 2016, and, you know, it took them a while to come back, a few seasons. They wouldn't want to go down again. Yeah, but finally, before we finish, I mean, I'm going to have to ask you for a prediction. You'll probably sit on the fence, but uh, who is going to finish uh, where? Who's the two-to-go automatic down, and who's going to finish 14th, do you think? Uh, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm um, putting my neck on the line for that one. I'll put me. I'll put. I tell you what. I'll put my neck on the line. Falkenberg fourteenth, and the Kalmar and Helsingborg down. I'm gonna. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say. So, all right. Well, that that is gonna be it for. I mean, the on. remaining games. Yeah. What we've we got. We've got Kalmar against. Uh, well, Kalmar got AIK away and and Birkenhagen at home. So, you know, I'm looking at that. and I'm thinking they they're probably gonna go down if if we're, if we're if we're being realistic and we're looking at you know predictions. Uh, you've got Falkenberg, who have got Helsingborg away, Mialbi at home. I think Falkenberg may get out of it again, actually. I think they may get into the playoff. Um, and I think that would then put Helsingborg down. 
you know, Helsingborg got Falkenberg at home, nor shopping away. So if you if you're asking me to to call it, I'm going to say Falkenberg relegation playoff. Kalmar and Helsingborg are gone. If Falkenberg get out of this again, then <laughs> like they, they you know finish third bottom and then stay up on the playoff. They're like the a proper Houdini act, aren't they? Because they were gone. Oh, they were gone. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, 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 that's, that that's, uh, wraps up this Swedish section. Uh, we're going to have a break now. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, the Elitis Arena, specifically Buda Glimt uh, as their champion. So stay with us and we'll be back very soon. Hi everyone and welcome back to part two of this latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I hope you're all right and got yourself a, a drink or a cup of tea or maybe even a full Evig beer. Because that is where we're going to start, isn't it, Steve? We're going to start with Buda Glimt. They've done it. They're the kings of Sweden. They're the kings of Norway. They are title winners. The dream has been realised and... You know, history has been made. I, I read in a piece just recently today that they, uh, they've they created their own sort of brand of beer to commemorate the occasion um, that is called, I think it's called For, For Evig. Might be pronouncing that wrong, but uh, yeah, that just sums it all up, isn't it? They've got their own brand of beer for this occasion. It's a massive, massive achievement. Their first league title in their history, 104 years. Uh, take it away, Steve. I mean, what, what more can we say about this team that we haven't heard <laughs> no, right. for the last sort of two seasons yeah i mean we've been waxing lyrical about them haven't we in all season on this podcast and you know congratulations they've, they've finally sealed the title i say finally because actually this was nearly um sealed a couple of weeks ago and i was actually in panic mode because they were beating allison seven nil and um but i never envisaged them potentially winning the title that day because i expected both rosenborg and Mulder to win and i wasn't ready i had no tweets or anything ready to <laughs> congratulations and Mulder kind of saved my skin in that by scoring a late equaliser against uh, Christiansen to keep it the title uh, alive for, for another week. But um, yeah, I mean, my, but they knew they were going to win the league on goal difference going into the international break. Just needed one more point to seal it. The job was done um, against Strums. Got set away. They scored two goals in the first ten minutes and. Uh, they ended two one. There was a late goal from from Godset, but um, thoroughly deserved title. Twenty two out of twenty five win so far and we've still got five games to go they could be knocking on the door of 100 goals and 80 plus points which is kind of ridiculous and you know what there was i was looking back at their, their all their matches this season all competitions and they've led in every single match jonathan which is incredible isn't it what an incredible statistic that is they've not won them all but they've led in every single match this year including against ac milan of course so um but a hell of a side. Uh, I've, you know, some people are saying the best that Norway's ever produced, um, and, and it's hard to argue with that. Um, it's uh, they've been an unbelievable outfit right from start to finish, winning the first ten straight, and uh, what a great achievement yeah, for a club. It's all this is almost you know what I compare this to. It's almost like Leicester City winning the, the Premier League, not maybe not quite to that level, but it also reminds me strongly of when Montpellier won League One. 
um, in France, as you'll remember. Um, it really does shades of those two clubs uh, this season with Budapest. Yeah, I mean, you know, for anyone who may be listening for the first time, maybe they've got more interest in, in, in Norway, you know, because of this. And, you know, um, I made an appearance on another podcast, which will come out soon, just talking about Scandinavian football. And, you know, they mentioned in that episode that there's definitely more of an interest now in, in, in this region. And they were asking me sort of, you know, what's it been like covering this team and covering, you know, this league and, you know, this, this, this part of the world. Put it into context, Steve, just how big this is in, in Norway. And how big it is in the sense of there, you know, you just mentioned Leicester. I'd argue that maybe is it even bigger than Leicester in a sense, you know, just put it into context of where Budagund have come from. What, what are they traditionally known as? You know, I think it wasn't too long ago we were saying, would they, would they even stay up in, in Elite Serbian? Just for those who might not know the background of, of Glimt, put this in context in terms of where they've come from. Since yeah, well, yeah, geographically, they're one of the most northerly clubs in the whole world, I do believe. Um, they're in, it's a region of North Norway, and traditionally, Tromso have been the big dog in that region. They've never won, um, you know, that much themselves, Tromso, but uh, they've always historically been the bigger club in, in that region. But Budagund had certainly turned the, the history books on themselves here. Uh, they, they had a relegation about i reckon it was five or six years ago now and they've, they've come back really strong and you know for those who don't know anything about them the style that they're, they're kind of four three three high tempo high press fluid passing just constantly at you for the whole 90 90 minutes um they've got some great technical players fantastic youth set up really well coached and um you know, they're just a hell of a, an all-round side, but yeah, very northerly side in Norway. So it's not like it's not like a traditional heartland of of, of, of footballing strength in the country. Um, it's difficult, you know, when you're up there that far north, you know, you're kind of out of touch a little bit with the rest of the country in some ways. And um, you know, limited budgets. They're not. They've certainly not got a, like a sugar daddy in charge. It's just invested everything. A lot of the players that they've won this league with, have, uh, uh, some of their own. You know, generally from their own. Academy, um, you know, if we include the likes of Jens Peter Hauger, yes, he's at AC Milan now, but he's as big a part of this as anyone else. So, um, yeah, it's not like uh, it's certainly nothing easy about this, but a remarkable achievement considering how far clear they are, Jonathan. And it's not like they're facing a bunch of ponies either. Um, you know, Mulder, Rosenborg, Volaringa, they're all pretty good teams. And I would imagine all, all three of them will certainly finish close to the 60 point mark this year. So, um, yeah, they have had good competition. It's not like maybe Sweden, where we talked about Malmo struggling. Uh, sorry, Malmo, the, sorry, the, the opposition struggling uh, this year. There has been some good teams in Norway, so they fully deserve it. They've been so good. Uh, hell of an all-round side. Yeah, and uh, we talked about that increased focus on, on the league, and, and uh, this couldn't probably be more or more exemplified by the fact that the, the New York Times ran a, an article on, on Budaglin, which is, you know, if you'd have told me maybe uh, 18 months ago the New York Times would be writing about Buda Glimt, I'd have probably said there's more chance of a global pandemic coming in and stop shutting the whole world down for, for a year. But uh, there you go. Um, yeah, and, uh, in fact, if you, if you do get a chance, I, I would certainly recommend it. It's a, a good piece by Rory Smith, um, who is, is a great writer on football in general. And, and he puts the success down to a, uh, a guy called Bjorn Mansvert. Now, Bjorn Mansvark is the, the mental coach at Brugge, who was hired in 2017. And he's been really hugely praised by um, 
a lot of members in the squad and, and in the piece he, he sort of talks about how uh, this guy was a fighter pilot who was in Norway's Air Force and uh, and served in Afghanistan and Libya and was actually hired by Budaglim to be their mental coach and a lot of the players talk about how his his um, preaching on mindfulness and, and the mental training has turned their careers around which is which is quite fascinating I thought and uh, certainly worth a read if you get a chance to, to, to look at that um, and you know maybe that's helped get the best out of those players Steve, I mean, we've talked about their their style of play. It's been described as kamikaze by by some. Um, what will you take from this title winning season? What what are your sort of memories? You know, give us a couple of highlights of this season. What they've done to teams, you know, games they've played in that just they blew big teams away. Players that you've mm. seen that you just think, you know, wow. What what's your sort of um, highlights and memories of this incredible team? I think the, the three things that stand out are just the relentlessness of them. Like, they do not stop going. They they, they just come out. Like, it was almost awful for Arlison a couple of rounds ago. They beat them 7-0, and they just, they were racking up the score. They're the sort of team that like to rack up the score. They don't sit on a 2-0, on a, on a, on a 3-0 and shut up shop and just relax. They keep going until the end. They bring the subs on, and they all want to make an impact and everything. So that's one thing. The physical, they're so physically uh, strong. The stamina, um, obviously, they're fantastic uh, pre-season, well-conditioned players. Uh, the technical side of it, you know, I mean, it's players that stand out, obviously, Jens Petterhorger, Philip Zinknagel, Patrick Berg. Um, and it's inter interesting you mentioned about the mental coaching there. I think off the field, there's obviously something in the setup here which is really good, both in terms of uh, the actual coaching, uh, which is, I think, superb right from junior level right up to the first team i think there's there's some great advisors in in that setup as well in the scouting the recruitment um just the way they manage players overall so you know it's not just about you know, the manager uh, kethel clubson will take a lot of the plaudits and he's been absolutely brilliant um but i think there's a lot of the team around him also deserve credit uh, it's a club that are really really well run and um you, you did say that, you know, is it bigger than Leicester? I, I wouldn't say it is in, in that regard, because when you think about it, they did finish second the year before, you know. Um, so well, I, not... mean, uh, I mean, uh, sort of overall development since, since oh. a few years ago in general, not not just this season, because, yeah, like you say, and it is an important point, isn't it, really? This has been coming, hasn't it? They, they were good last year. Yeah, they were good last year. And I, I, in a way, I was a bit, yeah, I've got to eat a little bit of humble pie this this season for underestimating that they could do it again. It did last year felt like a one-off. It felt like their that that was their moment that they, they've kicked on. So, but in a way, it's not a biggest shot moving second place to first place, is it? But yeah, the way they way they've come up, up out of nowhere to develop this club, yes, it is very Leicester-like. It's a bit like Montpellier-like. Where I think the difference might be, and I hope it's a big difference going forward, is I hope they can be up there as a perennial challenger, not if not always for the title, but for sort of you know, top four or five positions because it's good for the league, you know, it, rather than the same old teams like Rosenborg or Molder. It's good for Norwegian football to see a new contender up there. It would be good to see some of the older sort of uh, clubs like Volarenga again right up there um, in, in medal um, contention or someone else uh, making sort of a run. I think I noticed a few tweets from a lot of the clubs congratulating them and Haugesson uh, stuck out to me, uh, you know, they were like, Fantastic achievement, a real inspiration for clubs on sort of a, a lower budget that, you know, dreams can be made real. And I think they'll, they will give a lot of inspiration to clubs in, in, in the rest of Norway, maybe even the rest of the world, that it can be done. And, um, 
you know, I do hope that this, um, I think that they can really say a lot of people can take a lot of uh, inspiration from what they've done. Yeah, and you've also got, as you've said, there's a sort of, um, I think, am I right in saying they're one of the first teams in the North to, to win the title? The first, yeah, I'm just looking. I mean, Tromso have won things before. They won the Norwegian Cup twice. They were runners-up uh, in the Elite Serien twice, including 2011, um, which for some reason is a season which I just can't remember that well in Norway. Probably Rosenborg won the league in a, with an average team or something. Um, but, um, you know, Tromso are historically the biggest club in this region. Um but you know, Buda Glimmer obviously turned that on that on its head now. They've won that the, the league, the first team from this region. And what, um, you know what what what's the what's the sort of geopolitical, you know, um, state of Norwegian football in that sense? How how big is that from the point of view of the north? You know, like you, you get a sort of north south divide sometimes, you get you get mm. bigger teams in certain regions, don't you? At times maybe, you know, in England, for example, you've you've got the London teams maybe, then you've got the sort of Manchester, Liverpool. Um the fact that Oslo you know the sort of cosmopolitan area of, of the country isn't you know is there anything in that as well is there is there a sort of um perception of the north in that sense is it is this going to be something of uh, uh, you know it must be an emblem of pride for the for the north of norway as well i think so um i suppose the best sort of comparison i can give is perhaps um in french terms corsica you know it's always felt the odd odd one out hasn't it over there that they almost consider themselves um an entirely different country it's not like that for north norway but they are considered a bit different up there you know they're, they're a long way adrift from from the south and uh, you know it's not an area anyone would ever think a club could could do this really at all so i mean the ironic thing of course on the exact same day that buddha glimp won the title just hours earlier tromso have secured their place back in the elitist area and getting promoted from the obos but you know i think buddha glimp well and truly pissed on that bonfire didn't they uh, later on so um but you know congratulations to Tromso as well it's good to see them back in in, in the league and it's good to see strength in that region of, of of Norway um for sure it's it's good for the region I think you know imagine living up there now you're gonna you're gonna really feel good about yourself I think if you there will be some neutrals as well of course and I'll be proud of the region um, but hopefully, I, I think a strong North Norway, a strong Budaglimp and Tromsø is good for Norwegian football because it's it's a region where good talent is, you know, can be found and, and developed. Simple as that. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think probably everyone in the world loves a fairy tale story, and I think everyone except maybe fans of Tromsø will be will be loving this fairy tale that's happened in Norway. Um, we'll we'll touch on two more points on Glimp before we move on. One of them is. Um, I want to. You mentioned there the kind of the setup of the squad and the setup of the team as well, and the setup of the club in general. It is a really well-run club. And one thing I'd say to anyone who's listening to this, if you're a new listener, maybe go back to our archives and go to about a year ago, and um, we had their sporting director Asman Bjorkan on the podcast, and we um, we had a good interview with him where he lays out the philosophy of Buda Glimt. He lays out their model, lays out what they're trying to do and their aspirations, and obviously listening to that back now a year later it, you know they're an amb- they were an ambitious club aren't they even even though they are quite small they 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 have a clear idea of how they're doing things which has has held them in good stead he's their sporting director um the other thing i wanted to <clears throat> sort of uh, just quickly ask you steve as well and one thing that maybe highlights as i've said the development of the of this team and and, and the interest that's come with it from the new york times to to the nordic football podcast is we, we've had a question 
from uh, an email, in fact, from a, a listener called Andrew Kaiser. Um, and he got in touch with us um, and said he is an American casual fan of Buddha Glimt. Uh, and he said he's been starved of English language content about them until I discovered your podcast. So he says, I've got a series of questions for your next episode. And, you know, he says, hopefully won't. Um, thanks for your great work. Uh, one of the questions that he asked, uh, just touch on one of them, Steve, is, is this the end of, of Glimp now then? You know, Jens Haugel's left. Um, and I, if you want to, in your answer, if you want to touch on some of their better players, Patrick Bird, likes of them. But he, he said, I'm not expecting them to become perennial contenders, but is this enough, is this enough to stop them being a yo-yo team? Um, will they be picked apart or is this system good enough to create lasting results? And in your answer, Steve, I just want you to talk on maybe one or two of the better players in, in that squad mm-hmm. um, and, and what might be next for them. Yeah, it's some good questions. Um, it really is. The answer is, yeah, they will get picked apart a bit. They already have done to a degree. Um, this started last year with um, Amor Yilayuni as departure. But uh, look, the thing is, uh, I think they've already signed players um, with an eye for the future anyway, who, you know, they've lost Jens Peter Hogger. They're probably going to lose Patrick Berg. They're probably going to maybe lose, I don't know, Ulrich Soltnes or Frederick Andre Bjorkamp guys like that but they've already brought in guys uh you know Sondre Fett, Sebastian Tunecti, uh Ola Solbakken you know in defense uh Samstead you know Hugo Vettelson was a, a really good mid-season signing from Starbeck there's a lad uh, Elias Christopherson Hagen who I've not seen an awful lot of but um you know he looks good they've got youngsters coming through Isaac Munson made his I think his first start for the club on um on sunday uh, he's only you know 20 year old defend defensive sort of player can play midfield as well now this can they'll they will not, probably not be as strong next season on paper i mean it depends who they sign of course they could bring in some good replacements but i think long term they've got a really good system in place that if they lose say i think they're well they're well covered for, for losing these key players that they've got good recruitment if the manager was to move on, which at some point he probably will, you know, to, to, to move to bigger things. I don't know when, but I'm sure they're the sort of club who could bring in a, a good replacement manager. They've got a good coaching staff in place. They've got good, you know, off-field and recruitment stuff. As long as that stays the same, there's no reason why they can't be a perennial contender, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, especially if they were to, say, go on a good qualifying run in Europe in 2021, that would really consolidate their finances. But they've got good money from the Jens Hoger deal. I'm sure anyone they sell on, they'll get decent money from as well as potential add-ons. So I think as long as they, they, they manage well off the field, there's no reason why they can't, you know, challenge perennially. Um, and certainly it's surely the end of them as a yo-yo club, in my opinion. That's really interesting and really good as well to hear because I, I, I actually agree with you and I think they, they could maybe establish themselves. And, and I think one thing that differentiates maybe this from Leicester uh, or Montpellier is hopefully they can because... You, you rarely see that in football. You do get one-off sort of successes, but you rarely get an organic team that comes along without huge finances that can actually sustain it as a, as a regular contender and actually change the face of the country's football. Because, you know, if, if Glimp come to contenders and, and start to dominate, you know, that, that changes the course of football history in, in Norway. And um, I'd quite like to see that, isn't it? Because, you know, can you imagine sort of Southampton winning the league and then being able to sustain that or if Leicester had been able to sustain that it changes the course of football history and the perceptions of of clubs so yeah that, that that's one to look out for and um thank you to Andrew Kaiser 
for your question and for listening to the show. I'm glad you glad you got into contact with us. Um, Steve, what, one final thing uh, on on Glimp. Just give us a word on Kate Hill Knutson and you know how impressed you've been with him. Very very impressed um, because he stuck uh, faithful to his methods. Um, but I, I mean, I, for example, this season, I think what he did last year, he, he went back and he looked, and they did a lot of good things last year. Um, and do you remember the episode where um, the analysis I did against uh, Mjöndal and, and basically they had an issue when they had a lot of possession. They were better as a counter-attacking team last season. Um, but I think they worked on what their weaknesses were and they've become this possession-hungry team and they you know, they, they build on their strengths like that. So he's an adaptable coach and uh, by staying true to most of his you know, original tactics and methods, but this change and tweaking a few things um and you know he's clearly got his set system in place you know what role you're going to play at buddha glint you know it's it's a, a back four three in the midfield and three in attack and pretty much if someone's injured in one spot someone will come in and and play the exact same role um of that injured or suspended player so basically you're training people specific roles you're not changing from like five at the back one week to four at the back the next you're not going two up front one week and then one up front the next. You know exactly what you're doing. He's sticking with that. And, you know, they play that way throughout the whole game. You know, I can't remember many times when they're going to the corner flag, trying to hold on for um, for a win or something, John. It basically takes going for goals right till the end. And it, it, I mean, I love that about them. Some teams must hate it. They really must. I mean, if it was French football, you just, they're just having a... A siesta, aren't they? The last ten minutes, with tight side that's two or three nil up, but not them. Uh, but yeah, very good manager, and obviously very good man manager as well. You know, with the, with the players and, and, and the coaches and that, he's getting the best out of them. And um, I, I, he's the best manager in Norway in the league for me. And I mean, I'd love to see him at Budapest like the whole of twenty twenty one as well. But if I'm you know a, someone abroad, you know, I, I'd be looking at. Yetel Knutson, what he's done here. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are offers for him in the off-season. Um, but I think it would take a bloody good offer to, to leave Glimp. He's got something going really good there. They're going to be in the Champions League. Uh, you know, they've got good talent pool. And, um, you know, it's a question of... Uh, there's no doubt there's a big future ahead of him, though. Fantastic stuff. And, yeah, this is the Champions episode. And we've looked at the two champions. Congratulations and a big Nordic football podcast. Um, well done to Malmo FF and Buda Glimp, champions of our respective nations for the year. We're going to wrap this show up now, but before we do, the final talking point is going to be Mulder um, against Arsenal because they have a big Europa League game coming up this week. And we're just going to touch on it briefly. Um, you've, you've congratulated Tromsø there. And, um, you know, maybe we'll talk about them in another show. But uh, yeah, this is quite a big game, and we didn't talk about the first leg. So let's uh, let's 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 discuss this because Mold um, have a chance of qualifying here, don't they? Actually, you know they they're not yeah. out of the group. Yeah, I mean the thing now, what Buda Glimt have done, I think they've put a bit of pressure on some of these bigger clubs like Molde, Rosenborg, Valerenga. They've got to respond now, and one of the best ways you can respond is, of course, having good financial clout, isn't it? And Molde, if they were to qualify from this Europa League group, that's going to you know, you're talking millions, aren't you, really? So, um, you know, just for winning matches themselves, I think it's half, half a million. So, uh, you know, they, they've had a good start to this group. They've won, the, they beat Rapid Vienna, they beat Dundalk, 
and they lost uh, to Arsenal 4-1 at the Emirates. But I tell you what, first half, I thought they were the better team, actually, Mulder. They, they were much the better side and they were unlucky to concede you know, a late equaliser in that period. Second half, they weren't very good. Arsenal did outplay them. But, uh, you know, if they could just sneak a point out of this second return match, it would give them such a boost. Because I'd imagine Rapid Vienna will beat uh, Dundalk. Uh, I mean, if we just say... If Dundalk did manage to result there, then Mulder are looking very good. But they can they get a point here. They'll beat Dundalk at home, I would imagine. And then, you know, they want to give themselves the best chance into the final league match um, group game, sorry, against Rapid Vienna. I mean, that could be a winner takes it all. But if they can go and go to Austria knowing that a draw would secure them qualification, then great. But yeah, it's a big game, you know, um, Mulder against Arsenal. I'm pleased that they've got the chance to showcase themselves on the big stage again. Yeah, I mean, you're right in that, and the, it will be a big challenge for, for the likes of Rosenborg and, and Mulder. Uh, I, I watched the the game against Arsenal with the first round uh, at the Emirates, and uh, I didn't think that Mulder were too bad. Uh, mm. Gave it away in the second half a little bit, but uh, listen, my opinion on Arsenal is, you know, maybe maybe I'm going too early with this one, but I'm not as sold on Arteta as, as a lot of um as a lot of people are. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, as a young coach learning his game in, in, a, in a really big job uh, and a tough job. So don't, I'm, not, I'm not knocking him or, or having a go at him. But uh, I certainly think that there's been a huge amount of hype around him. And he, obviously he's won the FA Cup, which is in, a great achievement so early in his career. But uh, I think I, I do wonder if people are going a little bit overboard on, on the Arteta hype, um, certain quarters anyway. What's your thought on that, Steve? Because I, I think Mulder could have a chance here. Obviously, It'll be very, very difficult. And we've talked about the budget in previous shows. You know, the huge gap in squad value between Arsenal and, and Mulder. It's almost, I think, 500 million or something like that in terms of the difference between their squad values. But um, what, what's your outlook on, on mm. this game? Can they actually get something to, to put them in a position to to get out of this group? Well, I know that when we talk uh, privately, uh, you have a little interesting nickname for Arteta in our conversations, which I'll... Uh, I won't. I'll refrain from saying now, but um, let's. I mean, no, let's you, you, may, you may as well say because otherwise you're going to get me in trouble. But yeah, I, I, I suppose if you're going to go with this one, then uh, this, this will either be clipped in in about three years' time as as the worst take ever or the best take ever. But I said to you privately that you know he's he's Sean Dyche with good PR um, in terms of his style of play and his game model. He's very defensive coach, isn't he? He really his, his emphasis is all about not conceding um, and. You know, when you look at the XG in, in the Premier League, he, he is doing very well in that sense. You know, they're third in the league for expected, um, you know, in terms of goals conceded, they're doing very well. And, you know, their expected goals against are, are pretty average mid-table. But, you know, his his aim is to not concede, isn't it, really? Um, so that was what, what I said. Um, whether I'm wrong or not, we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, he's not the most sort of... Um, He's not getting the attacking balance quite right, is he? And there has been some criticism of him in, in recent weeks. I wonder how Sean Dyche would react if I called him the Northern Arteta. He would... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but look, I'm going to start with some positives for Arteta. He's won the FA Cup. He came into an Arsenal side which was very ill-disciplined Ill and, and they're conceding goals left, right and centre. But I kind of agree with you. All I kept seeing on, on Twitter in, in the sort of the last few months is that this boring, negative... Uh, football uh, too sort of defensive at times, and this is from valued Arsenal accounts that you wouldn't just call them whingers or anything. You know, these are respectable people, and um, you know, I've not really seen an awful lot of them 
if I'm being brutally honest, for whatever reason. But I did obviously watch the Molder game. I watched the Leeds-Arsenal game on Sunday. And I'll be honest, I wasn't that impressed with what I saw. I mean, I, Leeds-Arsenal, you know, everyone knows I'm a Leeds fan. I expected trouble for Leeds on Sunday, I must say. I was rather worried that, I mean, if you look at Arsenal's weapons that they have on the counter-attack, the pace, Aubameyang, Saka, people like that, you know, really, they're well built to, to face a side like Leeds. But I was shocked how negative they were. It just feels like they just wanted to keep it tight. Basically, it's as if they came to Ellen Road for a draw, which was bizarre. Forget, I mean, you can't really judge them much after the red card. But even before the red, I thought they were really, really negative. And maybe, he, you know, Arteta would say, giving Bielsa a lot of respect and stuff like that. But I think that was quite poor for for an Arsenal side who do have weapons. Against Mulder, they were, quite frankly, outplayed for half an hour. Simple as that. Um, it's as if, and I've seen this with Arsenal before, they're not out of the blocks quickly in some games. Arteta, one of his biggest strengths is actually in running, if you ask me. Um, he's good at changing the course of games, a bit like sort of Nuno Espirito at uh, Wolves there. He's good in the second half. He, he knows how to sort of improve things after the break. But too many times they get themselves in trouble in the first half of games, a bit slow out the, the blocks. And I could see that Mulder really being up for this on Thursday, getting that good first half. And um, you know what? If, if they punish them, it could be too much for Arsenal to do. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the one of the points there, they, they're one of the lowest scoring teams in the Premier League this season. They, they've actually scored fewer goals than, than Crystal Palace, than the Bull, well, as, as many as Wolves, low, lower than Brighton, uh, lower than West Ham. You know, so they, they are well down in terms of goals scored, and I think that is the challenge for them to get that balance. So they should have too much for Mulder, but uh, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not being too critical of Arteta there because I, I agree with you. I think he has some very positive elements to his his game. I think he's very clear in his interviews. I think he analyzes the game exceptionally well. Uh, I think he has a real clear understanding of how football should be played, and, and I think he, um, as you said there, I think in game and tactically, he is quite intelligent in my opinion. But but I, th- I think the point I was just making is that. There is a lot of hype about him, isn't it? You read all these mm. media articles about how the revolutionary Arteta and how he's got sort of, you know, he's got his chalkboards in the back of the training ground. And, you know, he's, you know like you read a lot of this sort of hype building him up into this incredible, you know, you're almost reading an article about him, think he's sort of, you know, the new Klopp or something like that, the way he, the way he's built up, which I think that's not his fault. I think sometimes it's, it's just the media maybe gets a bit carried away at times. And when it's a big club like Arsenal, people run with it, don't they? And uh, I'm just saying, my point really was that, um, maybe he's not worthy of the hype that he's getting at this moment in time from, from that point of view. And, and maybe people need to just let him get on with his. Do you know what I think is a big positive for Arsenal going into the Europa League? That You know, the, the side is often changed in Europe there, and a lot of their youngsters are really up for it on the European stage, you know. I mean, that Willocks is someone who always impresses me in, in Europe. Eddie and Ketty will probably get minutes. I mean, Nicholas Pepe, I'd imagine, will be starting because he's going to be banned for three domestic games, isn't he? Um, if he's in the mood, <laughs> they could tear Mulder apart if he's in the mood. But too, far too often, he's he just doesn't care, in my opinion. But, uh, but a lot of the youngsters that come in the side have impressed me, Arsenal. Yeah, with that in mind, you know, like, like and I think, I think also with Arteta, I think he's the... Um, you know, if I was doing a ranking of the teams to benefit from no fans in the Premier League, we talked about it in Sweden... I think Arsenal are probably one of the top teams in terms of the, the, the advantage. They have a coach there who loves to bark from the touchline. He's always shouting instructions throughout the whole game. There's no fans to distract from that. And also, as we know, Arsenal fans, you know, if you're not winning at half-time at the Emirates, you're, you're getting booed off the pitch. 
So um, I think he's been a bit lucky in that sense to, to not have that, that pressure. Um, what's your prediction for this game, Steve? Because we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to actually think I, uh, Mulder can get something. I'm going to say a two-all draw. There'll be goals. Two-all draw it is then. And we'll come back next week and we'll talk about Mulder. And, uh, we'll talk about a lot more in Norway as well. So this is the Champions Show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've got some insight into Mamo and to, to Buda Glimp and the successes. And as I say, if you if you want to dig into the archives to listen to our sporting director, Asmund Bjorkan, um, and just want to give a quick shout out to Tom Dent as well, who we've had on the show. He is um, he is part of the coaching staff there, and I've seen a few tweets of, of his, and it looks like the celebrations are definitely taking place uh, in earnest. So uh, have a beer on us, um, Tom, and good luck with your next role. But yeah, for now, that's it for the Nordic Football Podcast this week. We'll be back. You can follow us on Twitter at Nordic Football. Uh, you can find us on Facebook as well, Nordic Football Podcast. And you can find myself on Twitter at JFFootball, F-U-T-B-O-L, and Steve on Twitter at MeatmanSoccer. That's all we've got time for this week, a bit of a bumper episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, from myself, Jonathan Fadiba, thank you for joining us, and thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, uh, Jonathan, and uh, cheers for listening, everyone. We'll see you again very soon. I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone, and we will be back soon. Take care of yourself. Cheers.